Hello, thanks for stopping by Liberty Sessions, where we unpack one woman's entrepreneurial journey to help another woman launch her own. I'm your host, Netta Jones. Please join me as we start liberating dreams one episode at a time. Well, hello there, Liberty listeners. Welcome to another episode of Liberty Sessions. This week, we have the honor of sitting with Christina Perez, and I am so excited to not just have her um, here to ask her all about her three Emmys and her three books and her show as a judge, but also to learn a little bit more about her latest book, which touches on the subject quite a bit, actually, of immigration. So, Christina, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to be here, and, and I'm excited to, to be part of this. I mean, what a movement that you've created. Well, you were there kind of in the beginning, back in 2011. We had you at one of our conferences yes. um, speaking, and you had, that was your second book. It was the sexy one. The ten, Yes, that was the second book. That, the, what sexy was the, one? the sexy one. I remember that. What was the title of that uh, one? It is 10 Laws. Um, um, listen to me. I can't even remember I know. My, my title. It's... Uh, it's all, it's all about the woman who wears it. Ten laws for being smart, successful, and sexy too. You, you can tell it. I did not think of the title. No. <laughs> <laughs> my yes. publisher thought about the book. Actually, it was one of, and I'll tell, well, I know we're going to get into We're going to get into that publishing but question. But it was a cute yeah. story, the way they uh, that title came up with. And so you can tell it was never my, I mean, I own everything I wrote yeah. about it, but it wasn't my title, but I, it was it was a young man who came up with it. And I thought it was such a cute title. So okay, well, I, we're going to hear it. that story. And among the that title, which by the way, we will have in the show notes, so no one needs to um, to put on the brakes and pull over. It'll, it'll be there. There on our website um, at the end of this. So you also wrote your recent book, Red, White, and Latina, which we're going to get into. But yes. then your first book, which I'm going to butcher, it's Living by Los Dichos. Dichos. Yes. What does that mean? Dichos are proverbs. You know, like mom and dad tell you, hey, uh, and I'm horrible with, with a lot of uh, the... Uh, the traditional ones, you know, a penny saved is a penny yeah. earned or et cetera. So it, it's like that. And in, in the Latino culture, a dicho proverb, literally you say one line and people, oh, okay, yeah. I get it. Like it speaks volumes, totally. but we use them on a day-to-day -day basis. And it's a way to really deliver a message in maybe a sentence that people, okay, okay, I got it. I got it. It doesn't matter what age you are, what culture you are, you know, what Latino culture yeah. you are. It's like, okay. I got Don't it. say anything more. I get it. So my mom um, really raised us. Uh, you know, she's an amazing person. I know we're going to get into them, you know, as a woman, as a leader for her. She would always say things to us like that. And, and they just always stuck in my mind. And, you know, apparently we do become our parents. Yes, it's so happening. apparently when yes. I started doing a show <laughs> in Spanish, I started repeating them. And uh, people thought it was so funny because I was young and here I'm repeating these old proverbs that, you know, older women say. Sure. And so I was kind of just like a mix. I've always been kind of confused of, I mean, I know exactly who I am, but you know, yeah. growing up. Yeah. Which, so, which generation do I belong uh -huh. in and which one can I speak to? Exactly. But it was probably great for you to invite that into a new generation of watchers. So let's get into that because okay. our audience perhaps doesn't know exactly what you've done to date. Okay. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about... How you got started mm -hmm. with your television shows, multiple, um, became an author and a speaker. 
Give us that background. So um, I'm blessed to um, have been given career advice by my father, who is just the most amazing person. I think we all have mentors. And, you know, I think he was probably both him and mom are my original mentors. But he always said, you know, you need to do something that you love to do, that you want to wake up every morning and say, Mm -hmm. I'm going to work. And I always thought that was going to be medicine because he is a surgeon. And I thought, oh, my God, that's what I want to do. And little did I know that was not my path. Uh, My path ended up being law. And um, for me, it is a passion. It is what I love to do. It it just it really makes like like I'm talking about it gives me goosebumps. I just love it. You know, I think, you know, being able to affect one person even in a small way to help them change their life. It's not like you give yourself the credit, but knowing you're able to help somebody uh, is really fulfilling because you see how they have changed or how, how it affects their life. So um, I became an attorney and um, I ended up practicing immigration law. My parents are from South America. My, my parents, I want to say have a typical immigrant story, uh, which is not typical, Mm -hmm. but every immigrant story is very different. And when I was in law school, I, I, I I loved all the law, but I just didn't know what area I wanted to practice until one day Uh, we had, I was president of my law school and we had a career day Mm -hmm. and an attorney came in who ended up being my first boss. He was an immigration attorney. I'm like, an immigration attorney, what the heck does he do? So he represented professionals, actors, athletes, entertainers, scientists, doctors, uh, all types of professional people at college degrees, help them get temporary visas, green cards, investors, people who started businesses. And it just, that's, that's it. That's, that's it. That's what I'm supposed to do. And, um, and I've practiced it ever, ever since. And, and as I said, it's just extremely fulfilling. And it's an area of immigration that, um, while I, do, I don't want to even get into the immigration debate that we have, is that it's, you know, it's very easy for us to follow taglines, to, to follow media points about immigration, the negative parts. It's very easy because I do agree with a lot of them. But we don't have a proper immigration debate because we don't take into account the kind of people that I just described. Because if you're going to have a really well-balanced immigration debate about the pros and the cons, you need to bring the good, not just the bad, because then Mm -hmm. you have a very unbalanced, imbalanced argument. So it's, it's very fulfilling. I think right now we're going through a very difficult time uh, with this new administration. So even those professionals who are who impact and who contribute to the economy and, and, and to our culture and our communities in a very positive way are, are being undermined. And that's really frustrating. Did that have anything to do with the first show that you set out to do, which was the, the people's court, a version of the yes. people's court for the... In English. Uh, okay. In Spanish. No, it was in Spanish. Spanish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, tell me what that was called. La Corte del Pueblo. Oh. And is that's people's court. And, and, and it did, ironically, when I was young and as a young professional, you know, you network, you network the heck out of yourself. Yeah. You go out there, you sell yourself, you're doing, not that you're selling yourself, but you're really out there trying to make a difference sure. because that's what you're raised to do. That's what you think you're supposed to do. And, and you were actually quite young to to have a show. I mean, th- we're talking about, so this was 1999. So I don't want to do too much math, but no, I was, five years out of law school? Yeah, I was 20, how old was I? Yeah, I was like not even 30. Yeah. yeah. And um, I did a lot of public speaking and I did 
it in Spanish because I'm bilingual. Mm-hmm. I was raised speaking Spanish. Yeah. So I, as a young attorney, I did a lot of um, TV interviews, a lot of legal analysis. I do special projects. And one day I was at the Mexican consulate, even though I'm not Mexican, but I was doing a, I can't remember exactly, it was a, a seminar and we had press there and, and an individual comes up to me and says, hey, you need to be on TV. And I'm like, okay, I'm already on TV. Yeah. I'm doing, <laughs> I'm on the news. Are you kidding me? And he, no, he said, no, you really should be on TV. And that's how about a week later, I went to go do a screen test for a court show. And three weeks later I was filming. And that was uh, in 99 locally in LA, La Corte del Pueblo. And wow, it was amazing to do. It's like, never thought I'd do that. And when you were doing that, was that, did that become full time? Did that take over what you were doing in your normal law practice? You did both. I I did both. I would just carefully balance. Yeah. Okay. So I knew when I had a tape, so I would block those days off and, you know, obviously having a very good, good help people to help you, you know, you have to learn how to let go sometimes. Sure. Sure. Uh, We hear that a lot on the podcast. (laughs) So, but yeah, having people to help out, that was a lot. So, and that, and that show parlayed into another show. Am I correct? Yes. That Spanish language show, La Corte del Pueblo, parlayed into La Corte de Familia, which is family court. Mm -hmm. And that aired on Telemundo, Mm -hmm. which is the second largest or first largest, depending who you speak to, a Spanish language network in the U.S. And that aired in 15 countries internationally, as well as the U.S. Wow. And that was interesting because at that moment, Telemundo really thought that the Latino TV mainstream in the U.S. needed to mirror mainstream um, television. And what a perfect way to do that, a court show. Uh, And we started, I I did La Corte de Familia, my colleague did another court show. And it was just, it just really, nothing had ever been like that on a Spanish language court show on such a nationwide, uh, on a level and international. And so what was the, why the opportunity? Because then you had Christina's court Mm -hmm. and why and who thought it was important to then bring you into the American or the English language speaking court TV show because we we have them. So yeah. what was that about? So you know what was so interesting. I uh, I really enjoyed um, doing the show in Spanish, and then I think what happened. Uh, I, I would have continued doing it. You know, I think networks change people. Uh, there, there's different executives, but th- there was somebody at Fox who really thought that I could do a successful crossover. And when we talk about crossovers, you know, somebody who's completely bilingual in one language to do a show completely bilingual in another one, that had not happened. And I think only one person had really tried to do it, which is our Spanish language, Oprah. Her name's Christina Saralegui, and she didn't do it. So this executive at Fox thought, hey, I think you you could be the one to do it. And I did it, you know, so I technically crossed over from Spanish language to English language television, and that was the goal. Um, and it was kind of cool because for a while there, both shows were on at the same time. I wonder how much of that audience, and you might even know, how much of the Spanish-speaking audience followed you into the other show and perhaps even... I mean, my parents were immigrants, are immigrants. And um, I remember them watching 
everything from Sesame Street and you know, you name it. What whatever show Three's no, Three's Company would have been later, but like um probably Laverne and Shirley and these yeah. sorts of things to catch <laughs> yes. like the idioms and of with course. these sort of Americanized um sayings. Mm-hmm. Um how much do you think that audience knowing you, having a loyalty toward you, were willing to watch the American version of you. Because, you know, and I don't say this in a pompous way because that is not who I am, but the Spanish language reviewer is very, very loyal. I mean, even today, I can can walk somewhere and they'll say, Senora Juez, oh my God. (laughs) And you're like like a long lost family member. Oh my God, how are you? I still miss you on TV. A lot of them did. And what is so ironic, I feel that they're kids. Were, watched me on Fox. Yeah. I remember when I was little, my mom used to watch you in That's Spanish. Cool. And now they would watch me in English, which is kind of weird because you're like, now you start dating yourself. You're yeah. like, oh, gee, <laughs> you know, how old were you? Yeah. But it, it's really, it was really, I mean, really amazing to see that um, happen. And uh, yeah, but I think a lot, and, and a lot of people did anyway, because like you said, you know, they wanted to learn English. Uh, so it was, I think there was a lot of success, obviously without being negative in the entertainment industry, there's a lot more things that could have been done to advertise, to really push that. But, you know, companies have sure. their marketing money somewhere else. And, but you know, even so, you won three Emmys yes. with that show. Yes, we So did. I would consider that to be a <laughs> yes. tremendous success. Yes. And then the last show that debuted was... Um, the Judge Christina Perez, it's Justice for All. Justice with for Just- All okay. with Judge Christina How Perez. How is that different? That is different um, in in many ways because I think, you know, uh, the TV has changed. You know, the economy changed. So everything suffered from television to entertainment. So you've seen, you know, the production, we do things quicker. Some shows are, are real shows, but they're reenacted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's something different, um, which I was very uncomfortable with at the mm-hmm. very beginning. But then you realize, why are you uncomfortable with a story of what happened to somebody? It's still real life. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not an actress. These shows are not scripted. You know, I've probably adjudicated, arbitrated over 3,000, 3,500, yeah, about 3,500 cases. So this was going to be a new challenge for me. So at first I'm like, no, I'm going to do it. And then I'm like, why why am I so special that I think I'm Mm -hmm. not going to listen to a Mm -hmm. show? Uh, And, you know, those, sometimes you feel you have more liberty to really examine um, options for people or really look at different things. Uh, So that's what's different about this show. Um, And, you know, like right now there's other things in the world that, you know, I can't really talk about, but, sure. you know, it's kind of fun and exciting and they all come from those court shows. Um, so it's really fun. And it was, were the three books, um, well, the, let's talk about the two because the, the, the third one is recent. Did those kind of come in and out of those shows? Were they born of that? I mean, you talked about the first one that seems more personal. That, that show, the first book was a very personal book. I think when I started working on Spanish language and then when I started right um, in English language, uh, that's when, you know, I had a, a friend who worked at Simon and Schuster and later on she became a client and she's still a dear friend of mine. She said, you know, I loved watching your show because I loved listening to those dichos. I felt yeah. like, you know, th- that was my mom talking to me. She says, you need to write a book about that. And I said, really, Joanna, do you think I did? Yes, you should. You need to write a book. And that was the first experience I've ever had about writing a book. And it it took me almost a year to write it. You know, I was anal and meticulous and a perfectionist. 
and I felt it, you know, I, I felt it. I was pregnant. I had, I, I, I remember being pregnant, taking the pictures that are on the cover. Uh, so I think that I felt more, there was more emotion. It, it well, was and really, the connection to your mom oh, and then yeah, you now my becoming dad, a mom. Yeah. yeah. And it was weird. I wrote a letter to my daughter at mm. the very end. Uh, so it, it was a very, I think very personal, emotional book that I think most immigrants, um, or, or really anybody, and it's it's probably the the book now that I get more response to, even till today, from people who read my books. They'll say I still that's still my favorite book. Wow! And it's really just kind of like a patchwork of, I think, a family and family values and personality yeah. and identity. I think that was the beginning of me creating my identity, who I thought I was. Right. Um, so for me, it's a very symbolic book. Um, and then, th- yeah, so I, it, it, it's very special. And it's something I dedicate to my mom and my dad. It's really their story and like our story, like my sure. brother, my sister and our story. And then the second book, you were kind of smack in the middle of a lot of the yeah. TV work. So how did that inform mm-hmm. the book? Yeah, so I'd been through La Corte de Familia, um, I had just started on uh, on uh, Christina's court for Fox. I was in my 30s. I remember when you're 30. It's fun. Thirty. <laughs> it was fun and exciting, and you know, you really kind of get loose. You learn yourself. You you yeah. really you know kind of know what's important, what's not. Yeah. And and I know I've always loved people, and I, I and I love connecting with people and their stories. But for some reason, I was more in tune with what was happening, uh, I think, with people's story. So I, I gave myself the liberty to be funny and, and to say things that were funny. And, you know, they, they really liked that. So I would just throw out, you know, advice, whether you wanted it or not. Because, you know, a courtier, you're supposed to be an extension of who you are. But, you know, within reality, never be somebody you're not because people see right through that. But be that. Uh, and I would just say funny things. And, you know, so the second sh- the second book, which uh, is um, the title is it's all about the woman who wear it. Mm-hmm. Ten laws for being smart, successful and sexy. I mean, the title itself tells you it's identity. Yeah. It's OK to be smart. Yeah. It's OK to be sexy because it's a, such, a, such a subjective uh, word. Um, it, it's okay, you know, embrace who you are. And um, I felt that I was connecting a lot more, Christina's Court was really connecting a lot more with the 18 to 35 viewer. Uh, and sometimes, you know, I'll never forget this one. So the show, the book would have little snippets of shows that I was doing mm-hmm. with a lesson. Mm. For the oh, younger wow. generation, you know, so um, like living together, you uh-huh. know, should you live together? Yeah. Uh, friendship and priorities, you know, like I remember there was this priority of this, the, this young, these young girls that were suing each other. They said they were going to go on a cruise together, but the, then the girl decided she wasn't going to go because she wanted to get a breast augmentation. That's her priority. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is her priority. Why yeah. are you suing? I mean, leave yeah. her alone, whatever yeah. she wants to do. So it was just a much humor. It was a funny, uh, it is a funny book. I often say, have a glass of wine and you're done. Like yeah. you read it, you're done. Because it's funny. You laugh. People well, tell and me it, they what laugh a great opportunity loud. for you to share those anecdotes in a yeah. different way, yeah. in a different platform. Okay, which brings me to the third book, which is wildly different. Oh, yeah. Um, 
I can only imagine what prompted that. That's red, white, and Latina. Yeah. But why don't you tell us what prompted? So for a long time, and this is before the elections. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, it is. Yeah, it was written before the okay. elections. It just happened to be released um, last April. Last April. Yeah. Um, for a long time, um, I think um, you know your identity, who you are, being American. Uh, you know, those are things that you just you know w- w- just. I think seeing our society change, it was uncomfortable. I mean, mm-hmm. we're raising teenagers, we're raising mm-hmm. kids, mm-hmm. you know, and so it started getting uncomfortable. Then you start seeing some of the elections. So I started jotting things down. I hated what was going on. I hated that we were so angry. I, I, I felt that, you know, despite who, you know, you just need to leave your politics at the door. I'm not saying, you know, don't be a Republican, don't be a Democrat or a liberal, not that, but understand what makes us great as a, as a society, as, as humankind. Mm -hmm. And, you know, especially our very young country, it's, it's not yours and it's not yours, it's ours. And Mm -hmm. it's people like your parents, my parents, and, and our listeners' parents who have created it. And it's, you know, so our, 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 I think for me, that was the impact that we're all red, white, and something. Mm-hmm. I just happen to be, I'm red, white, and Latina, and I feel deeply everything that happens in this country. And I have a very strong opinion about what happens to this country. And I will listen to you. And that's what we don't do. We don't listen to each other. You know, you can have the, the complete opposite view of mine, but l- give me the moment or the time to listen to my point of view. Mm-hmm. That's it. Even if you walk away, so and not, crazy. don't be threatened that I'm trying to change your mind. I'm trying to inform. Exactly. So I think, um, or at least share. Yeah, that that's it. It's just understand my point of view. Yeah. Not every immigrant is a criminal, yeah. right? What? Can you believe it? <laughs> I am one. Yeah. I, even I am. I was two when I immigrated. But, so that's a joke on me. Yeah, but I mean, you know, those are the things that I think that the book is. It's um, it's a, it's just a book about. What does, what or who are we? I mean, and who do we want to be? And I like the message of sort of in order to get to that understanding and eventually that healing that it has to begin with empathy. It, it's not a mind change. It's, it's just being able to come to the table together and listen to one another. And I know for myself when I've been able to do that in those moments mm-hmm. um, that I walk away with a more full understanding of what the actual problem is, mm-hmm. not necessarily what the solutions mm-hmm. are, but what the actual problem yes. is and how it can expand us. So I, I can't wait to read it myself. Th- no, seriously, thank you for that. And I, I think that we need more people coming to the table and saying things like what you're yeah. saying, and just I think inviting people, us to that yeah, table. Yeah, people are driven by emotion, Yeah, which is understandable. We're humans, but I think we sometimes let that emotion cloud what we're supposed to do. And and in this particular season, given kind of the last year that we've experienced as Americans, I think, you know, and I've said on this podcast before, the furniture got moved and we got to see what was underneath. Mm-hmm. And there's something good about that. Yeah. And hopefully we can benefit from that. If we don't, shame on all of us. Exactly. Shame on all of us for not... Um, taking this as an opportunity because we're all we're mm-hmm. all in this. Yeah, we can't just point the finger. Yeah, and so how do we how do we take this opportunity not to further divide, which is happening a little bit, oh, yeah. but to to really uh, listen to one another and take responsibility for the future of this country and and for our children. I think 
you're so right. Um, having a teenage girl who's asking questions right now, I'm like challenged yeah, yeah. to answer and, those. And, you know, and why is it? It's funny. Remember, I told you that I wrote uh, my daughter Sophia a letter in my first book about how I thought it was important for her to to embrace her culture and who she was. That someday she had to do it. In this last book, she wrote a book. She I asked her to write me a letter or write a letter. And it's interesting when you see it through their point of view is, you know, when she was in her history class, she'd say, well, we talk about these issues all the time. You know, we're in history class and we just listen to each other and, well, okay, well, that's good. That's how you feel. So that's great. Okay. But we'd move on. We weren't angry. We didn't let, like, of course we talk and yell and not yell, but you know, they discuss it, but they didn't walk out thinking, oh, yeah, I don't like you anymore, or how dare you? They didn't feel slighted. By no, a they are of much opinion. more open to being different. They yes. are much. In fact, they just assume it. Yes, it's not. It's not a surprise when somebody is different. And and you're right. And and good for everybody who's come alongside <laughs> to help create yeah. that in them. It's Thank not always God. the parents. So. The, you've talked a lot about these platforms that all really came from your love of the law. But what um, what is it that you feel like, was it just an opportunity that presented itself or do you feel like you were pursuing something to take a more unconventional path as an attorney? What What was it that led you to say, I have this professional career mm-hmm. and a trajectory that I can pursue and be very successful, but I am interested in opportunities that came my way, or I am pursuing opportunities outside of those mm-hmm. conventional ones. And you didn't, you didn't abandon those. Yeah. You were doing both. But what was that in you? What was that internally that kind of pushed you or attracted you to take some of those, uh, take a look at some of those other opportunities? Um, th- that's a great question. I think that uh, when. I already knew I loved the law and I knew I wanted to pursue the law. Uh, I think when I really tell you how TV happened, it was, it was really just a very cliche story. Yeah. Some person came up to me and said, I think you need to be on TV. I'm like, yeah, right. Were you at the mall at the makeup counter? That's usually how that's. You know, (laughs) it was just a really weird thing. I never expected, never dreamed, never wanted to. Interesting. Never even thought about it. I mean, if you would have told me you're going to be on TV, I'd be like, what? Never, ever thought. I thought I was just going to practice law and get married and be happy. You know, know, that TV never crossed my mind. Writing books never crossed my mind. I, I really have to... I think I have to go back and under, and, and, and really express that when you really love what you do, Mm. uh, things open, doors open that you never thought would open. Did I look for it? And and I guess in a way, not that I looked for TV, did I look for doors to open? I think I must have because I was so driven. I really loved what I was doing. Um, I was nonstop. I sacrificed having kids much because I was so career driven. A lot of women wouldn't do that. And sometimes it's a regret that I have that I should have started having kids earlier, or maybe I shouldn't have been so career driven, but I can't regret that now Mm. because those are things that happened. I think from the passion of what I love to do and my dedication and my commitment towards my career, doors opened that I never expected to open. When they opened, I did make the conscious decision. I was terrified. I even remember telling my husband, I shouldn't go to the screen test. How ridiculous, me on television. 
And he's the one, he's kind of like very happy-go-lucky. I mean, he just rides the wave. Yeah. Whatever happens, happens. Uh, he said, oh my God, are you kidding me? Go. You're going to be with like well-known attorneys. He's thinking business. Maybe you'll meet somebody for business, right? <laughs> yeah. Well-known judges, just go and do the screen test. You'll never know. And think about it. You can tell your kids someday that you did a screen test. Yeah. Hmm, okay. So I went, I was nervous as all heck and I did it and then it just happened. And then you realize, uh, when, and somebody told me when you start doing TV, you're going to become addicted to it and you do become addicted to it because it becomes, for me, it became an extension of my passion of law and mixing law and people in an, in a, immediate way where you're telling a story, there's a beginning, there's a conflict, there's an end, and you're giving a resolution. Sometimes we don't find that in the law. And I think human nature and human stories really deliver that so well. So, And the ability to educate. So yes, all those people that were watching were like, okay, so if I am planning a cruise with my friend and she wants breast <laughs> augmentation, I need to let that go. Yes. <laughs> or I shouldn't sign a contract right. with her. Or I, shouldn't right. do, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't say yes because I'm going to go and not have everything, anything right, written down. Right, right, right. So yeah, you get to educate about the law. Um, you, you get to inspire people. You, you know, I think, I think that court shows are so well received since the day of Wapner because it is it's the ultimate unscripted drama. It's real yeah. life at its finest. And that's what you're doing. So this is a great place to sort of move into the, let's get some good advice out of Christina. And one of the things that I think our listener is going to hear and perhaps even be a little like, oh, shoot, I haven't been given that opportunity. No one saw me in a mall at a makeup counter and said, hey, mm-hmm. um, how do you advise the person who might be pursuing what you actually have been able to accomplish. Mm-hmm. I want to, I'm an expert in whatever field and, and whatever capacity or at whatever capacity, I want to pursue writing a book or I want to pursue um, having a television show, which I know seems crazy, mm-hmm. even, even for us living in LA. How do you advise somebody who comes up to you and says, give me your two cents, Christina? How mm-hmm. do I do that? First of all, I think it's really knowing who you are uh, and what you want to do. Because really, you know, we always talk about mentorship and, and, you know, it's important to have mentors. But if you can't look at yourself in the mirror and say, okay, you know, I really like you and, yeah. I, and I know who you are and I know what you're made of and I believe in you, you're not going to get anywhere. So you can have mentors that guide you, that tell you what to do. But if you're not your ultimate mentor and your ultimate somebody that you want to follow, then I think it's harder for you to meet your goals. I think that our society... that We have never heard that. That's awesome. Yeah, that is... I think that's something that will go far with our listener. I'm absorbing it myself. (laughs) It's like, am I who I want to follow? Um, But no, just I think that there's something really important in that. And then the product of that being that you are somebody. If you can say that, if you can get to that point, then yes, people will follow you. Because, I mean, you're going to walk into the room and not know anybody at an interview. They have no idea who you are. So if you're not your biggest cheerleader in your mind and in your heart, then then people will see that. Yeah. So uh, for me, confidence is a very, very important thing and really liking yourself and understanding who you are and your identity of what you want to do. I think that's number one. Um, Picking your career goal. 
is, 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 I think, you know, what area do you want to practice law? If you want to practice law, you have to understand it's extremely saturated. Mm -hmm. Lawyers are a dime a dozen, but I knew that when I started practicing law, Mm -hmm. that didn't hold me back. Mm -hmm. When you go into, into a a career, law, anything, you're always judged by being a woman first. Mm -hmm. So you're trying to battle that all the time. You know, you're trying to battle, I'm not a woman, I'm a really good hard worker, this and this and that. And it was my dad who told me, listen, at the end of the day, if you do really good work and it's quality work, they're going to forget where it came from. They're mm-hmm. going to forget it came from a woman or a man. They're just going to know it's really quality work. So get over yourself. As you, as you start working, you have to understand, you have to embrace the fact that you are a woman and that you can't. You can be a traditional woman with being a feminist, with being a complete professional. You know, you can be out there uh, changing ways of, of doing business or, or really being your own boss or running an important business or being part of an important law firm or a boutique small law firm. But it's okay to go home and be mom. Mm-hmm. It's okay to be go home and yell at your kids for not picking up their clothes and making dinner it's okay to be a domestic diva too at the mm-hmm. same time. You can do two things at once. And I think that for me as a woman was important to embrace. And I think once I embraced that, it, it kind of affected how I practice law. But so going back to your original question, which I digressed a lot, was really understanding you know, what you want to do, understanding that you truly are your mentor, um, I think is really important. Um, finding unique areas of, of practicing law are really important because it gives you the liberty to write about it. Mm-hmm. So if you want to start writing things, you know, newspaper articles, I mean, there's so much more. And that would apply outside of the law. Yeah, So anybody law. who has any profession or any expertise could can listen to what yes. you're saying and say, I can write articles about these. Yeah. I can... I can um, find ways of sharing my expertise yes. with XYZ audience yep. and opening, opening those doors for book writing opportunities. And often when you write those bylines, you know, for, for little, uh, you embrace yeah. who you are and, and it starts to shape, you might yeah. surprise yourself. It exactly. starts to shape you. The takeaway from that is to, I think first really know who you are mm-hmm. and then the outgrowth of knowing that will be that doors will open and then you choose to walk in yeah. and out of them. Yeah. I also think you have what to work I, for it too. Yes. I think, right? Yeah. I Obviously. think you have to work a lot for, <laughs> a lot it. for it. Um, but I also think I'm, I, I heard you say in relationship to owning all of that and owning who you are as a woman, that part of the owning all of you is owning that piece. Yes. And we don't have, we don't have to, even with your dad's advice of do really well and mm-hmm. it won't matter where it came from, mm-hmm. We know, we yeah. know where it came yeah. from and we know who we are. And you were able to marry parts of you that some people might think, well, you can't be that and that. You can't be a feminist and more traditional. So, you and know, you were able to do that. In my books, I coined a, a phrase called a confused feminist. So I'm a confused oh, feminist. Oh, great. Because Tell us what that I, means. I'm both. I mean, I'm both. Yeah. I'm, I, you'll come to my house and I'll serve you first. My husband, every man who comes in the house first. It's not belittling who I am. It's just who I am. Yeah. Tell me there's a problem with that. You can walk out the door. (laughs) But it's just really embracing the traditional role as a woman. Why can't I be that and be a quote, quote, powerful business person or powerful attorney or, you know, I'm not saying that, but it's okay. We need to give each other, we're not taking away from our feminist, strong position in this world 
by understanding that we are nurturers and that we're the ones who solve the problems. We're the ones who cater to our family. We're the ones who cater to the relationship. We cater to a husband uh, or a partner. Um, and has it been a problem? Have you, have you encountered a space where that has been a problem where people have been like, wait a minute, Christina's like this strong, you know, woman with a voice who has all these accolades behind her. And yet here I see her, like perhaps, you, you know, colleagues have come over to your house and experienced that. Have they ever said, oh, we didn't expect this from you or this is in conflict well, with who Yeah, we I mean, I were. think people always say, oh, gee, I didn't expect that. I'm so basic. <laughs> I'm they, so uh, uncomplicated in, in uh, a way, you know. When I go home, what matters to me? It's my family. Yeah. And that's always first. And, you know, my dignity as a woman is very important. Even my physical appearance is important to me. It's not important because of my husband. Yeah. No, it's important because of me. I was, you need to see my mother. I was raised by this cute little Latina mother who had no money. And she'd go to the grocery store and put her best makeup on and her, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. But it was always looking your best as a woman, yeah. embracing who you were and the privilege that, you know, we have to be mothers um, and that we have to be professionals at the same time. Um, there's a reason why we can do that. And, and, and I love that. Yeah, I, I love that you're sharing this because it is, it is something that I think a lot of us are not, we're not hearing those messages. Yours is a unique one. And it's funny when you said the makeup thing for my mom, it was pride in yourself, brother, male or female. You never left the house without looking a certain way. Mm -hmm. So it, it knew, knew, uh, it didn't know any gender. Interesting, It was, it was right? what you had to do. Yeah. So I want to talk about the author thing for a second. We've interviewed several authors, some who've been self-published, some who've gone the way you have with bigger, mm -hmm. more traditional uh, publishing firms. What's your advice for somebody who's considering perhaps going the route of publishing themselves? Because as you mm -hmm. and I both know, it's kind of a pain in the ass. Yes. Let's be real to have a traditional publisher. And you feel like there's some control that you might lose, even though the distribution kind of can't be, mm -hmm. you, you can't compete with that. Although self-publishers have Amazon now. Yeah. Even, even when I published, it, it was not the same. Yeah. Even though Amazon was there and all of that, it was, it was different. What is your advice to those people? Do you have any advice given that you've had a more traditional experience? So uh, my first book I published in what, mid 2000. So it was published with Simon & Schuster, my second book with Penguin, and my third with a hybrid of a company uh, that is self-publishing and, you know, kind of like a publisher. Uh, when I did the book for Simon & Schuster, it, it, it was really an amazing privilege. Um, of course, I got paid, and that was really nice yeah. uh, for doing something you love to do. And, and wow. And, and they gave you some advertisement, which is awesome, and they pushed you around. Um, and they really tried to do the best in selling the book as pushed much your as book they, around. They yes. didn't push you not, around. Not me around. <laughs> yeah. Really tried yeah. to market the book as much. But even though you weren't the Oprah or, you know, the the big people of the world, they really did. They made an impact. But I think that was the time. Yeah. It was different back then. Yeah. Uh, when and I, give us a time frame for that first book. Gosh, Is that... 2000 and... So Sophia was born 2003, so around okay. 2003, okay. 2004. Uh, and they published it in English and Spanish, so it was really unique. They did a lot of, um, uh, they, they really tried to do a lot of outreach and publicity in both languages. So it was a very positive experience. Could it have been better? 
yes, but at that moment I knew it could have been better, but that's how it was. Mm -hmm. I knew I was not this internationally renowned person and I was not of that caliber. So I was very grateful how it was done. Uh, when I published my second book in 2000, that was probably 2009, 2010, it was with Penguin. Uh, and again, you get paid, uh, which is nice. Uh, you get advertisement, not as much and that's it. And you know, you, and then it's up to you to go to every Barnes and exactly. Noble, find your book, and put it on the exactly. bestseller's table. Yeah, and we <laughs> would try to do did, that. But and I we, heard, people yeah, have. you try yeah. to do that. And there's a lot of tricks of the tray that you could have done to make it a number one yeah. time. So yes. you know all that stuff. Um, so that got a little frustrating, but you understand that was the market. Yeah. You, you get that. The third time around, um, publishing it with a big publisher was just completely out of the question. Um, it seems like big publishers just don't, they don't want to publish books anymore. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of competition. There's eBooks. There's, you know, there's yeah. a lot of self-publishers that are, that are, are very successful. So it, it's a very good way to do it because you really have your control over what you want with your book. Having said that, you have to be very careful if you decided to go self-publishing because you really have to market it yourself. And if you don't have the budget or the inclination to actually really market it and really go out there and market it, it's not going to go anywhere. And most books these days end up being that way. You know, and that's the sad part. I have to admit that maybe my third book is like that. I didn't public, I didn't publicize it as much as I should have. Um, is it too late? No, it's never too late to publish it. Uh, you know, we really sent it out in places, but you know, there was a lot of different things that were going on with me and and I didn't, but, um, yeah, so that's the danger of self-publishing. You really kind of have to, um, really make a concerted effort to go out there and do what you wished these big companies would have done for you if you were one of their clients. Yeah, it's an interesting sort of um, conundrum because on one hand, if you have the platform, if you have the social media numbers, if you have Mm -hmm. all that, a publisher might take you, even at no celebrity status. Exactly. And you actually have celebrity status over most of us. So that's that's interesting that, that somebody didn't jump on that, both given who you were and given the title of the book, honestly. The other thing is, if you have that platform, then go ahead and self-publish because you get to keep more of the margin and you have that marketing vehicle built in. So it is sort of an interesting, like, what is your situation? There is no... There's no right or wrong. Yeah. I think you really have to understand yeah. your situation and your capacity to market, your capacity to have an audience or, you know, yeah, I mean, have a built-in I think audience. ideally, um, if you can find a publisher, do it, but understand you have to market yourself. If you don't want to do that and understand that self-publishing takes a little bit of money, you need to have a budget and a budget for marketing. Yeah. I think it's... Um, it's really important. And what, social media makes such a difference to One thing, um, we had an interesting interview, I don't know, Kara uh, Dykert several episodes ago, mm. and she self-published a, a cookbook. Mm. And she launched it on Kickstarter to raise money mm-hmm. for the printing process and, as you said, all the other things mm-hmm. that come with publishing. And what was brilliant about that, because she probably could have raised that amount of money in some other ways, but what was brilliant about that is the how it expanded the audience of people that she didn't know, people that weren't on her social media, that. 
to find her, identify her as somebody worth throwing 10, 20 bucks to because she was able to sell it. It's a great way to use Kickstarter as a retail vehicle. That is smart. Talk to me afterwards. Yeah, <laughs> that's super we'll smart. So I've heard you say, and you even mention it, uh, there's a, a, a little blurb on your website where you talk about the importance of membership. I'm, I'm sorry, mentorship. Mm-hmm. Um, mentorship to your own daughter, mentorship to your niece, mentorship to other women who uh, are in your world. How do we go about finding a mentor, finding somebody that can, that is in our world in some capacity and can really serve uh, that role in a way that our friends, our husband, our spouse, partner can't? And any tips on what we should be asking for, Mm -hmm. especially because those people tend to be really busy. Yeah. Um, I think, well, my number one rule is what we had said before. If you can't look at that person in the mirror and say, hey, you inspire me, then you've got a problem. Don't go looking for a mentor until you understand that. But sometimes it's it's a I, I, I Actually, I take that back because sometimes you need to have a mentor to, to, to understand. To get to that point. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a very strong message that I want people to understand who the person in the mirror does yeah. that person inspire you? But I think for mentorships, finding a mentor, uh, first of all, obviously picking your area, you know, in, you know, for me in law, um, my mentor, uh, is, is this woman who's just a kick-ass yeah. woman. I mean, that woman is just, she's amazing. And uh, everything about her is amazing. I was just going to ask you: Was it everything? Uh, did you? Did she I was inspire you in her. multiple ways, or oh, was yeah. it just the law? Because I'm going to have a lot listen of time, to this, Josie yeah, Gonzalez. <laughs> I'm going to have her listen to this. Yeah, everything from how fierce she was. She was brilliant, and she had her own um, very successful law firm just by herself. And you know, her associates. She was so good at what she did. She yeah. was very prepared. And uh, she was smart, and and she is smart. She she was just an how did you approach her? How did you approach somebody um, who you know? I had always I always admired her. Did you invite her to grab a cup of coffee or a glass uh, of wine? No, we what were was at we were yeah we were at some conferences that we you know we probably Bumped grabbed a drink okay. and then had lunch and then we would talk on the phone and. She, you know, came to, you know, when I was pregnant, she gave me a baby shower. Uh, oh, just, so you guys became quite yes, close. Yes, And you, I had so admired, I so admire every fiber of who she is. Wow. I know that nothing in life is easy and work is hard and you see her as any other person. So pick somebody that really inspires you. Does Aside it have from to yourself, be in your field? No, it doesn't okay. have to be in a field. I mean, obviously my mentors from, from the very beginning... My mother, my father, um, I think are very important. My first boss is very important. Who's like my best friend. He's like my husband without the relationship yeah. or anything. Yeah. Um, he, you know, he's, he's amazing in many different ways. I think it's important to have mentors who are both male and female yeah. uh, because you get a different perspective about life. And I think that's really important. Oh, that's good to hear. Uh-huh. Uh, in today's world, uh, it's completely inappropriate to email this person and say, Hey, Netta, you know what? I heard about you. I think you're amazing. Could you spare 10 minutes of, of your, sure. I, I, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that because you're never going to know if that's a person who's going to inspire you and sure. change your life sure. and your career goals. So now you are that busy person that we just described. <laughs> I mean, you have the teenage daughter who is a busy teenage daughter. You have a husband who's busy. Like life is just mm-hmm. full mm-hmm. Um, and we're thankful for that. 
How do you, in all of that craziness, sort of what are your life hacks that you can share with us that this helps me keep sane in both work and life? I do these things. And they can be practical things that you do. They can be apps that you like to use or, you know, any kind of digital mm-hmm. um, cheat sheet that we should be paying attention to. What What are your tips, you know, I Christina? don't have any digital cheat sheets. Okay. Um, believe it or not, I'm not as techie as I should be. But that's by choice. Yeah, I was going to say it seems to be working. So. By choice. Um, I, I'm just old school. Yeah. Uh, you know, I what wake does that up, mean for I those of us up, who don't know what that means? I wake means? up every Sunday morning early, just for some reason I wake up, and I kind of look at my week, and I make myself a list, print out a calendar. I want to visually see it, <laughs> yeah. have my daughter see it, my husband see it. Um, and that keeps me grounded. I see the meetings I have to do, the clients, and that's how I, that's what I do at work. It's just kind of just being organized. Uh, I think that really helps me, um, in, in, in managing the house, my daughter's, you know, little life, you know, our life and my husband's life and and professionally, I just try to keep it as simple as possible. So it sounds like it's, I I have, I keep a paper list. I I mean, I, I have to, and everybody laughs at me, but it, it to I don't, I'm not sure if they're laughing because it's not working because I'm yeah. not I'm still not organized or because I still do that. Um, so it's good to hear. I think it's good to hear that you can still maintain uh, in a busy life doing things that are somewhat you know tactile. And yeah, you need to see, I need to see everything. Yeah. I mean, if I could, I'd have like a giant yeah. wall that's just tacking yeah. things up sometimes. Right, and I only have one child. Yeah, I'm like, you know, you. I mean, have two. It's just three. Three. I'm sorry. Christine. Jesus Christ. Yeah. yeah. So, but that's harder. I mean, yeah. it's just, I don't know. I always say zero to one is the hardest Yeah. It because life changes. And then at that point, it's like, just make more food and <laughs> wash more clothes. You I'm know what I mean? To go, go, go to more games, whatever. I went to 11 soccer games between Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. God. What? Anywho, this is not a show about me. <laughs> um, so anyway, there is a statistic out there that um, women are embracing entrepreneurship and really pursuing their own ventures, um, traditional and non-traditional, like we talked about earlier. And they're doing it at record pace. Why do you think that is? What do you think as somebody... Necessity. Okay, tell me what that Uh, means It's funny that you you threw that statistic at me and I'll throw one at you. Um, The majority of most successful immigrant entrepreneurs are women. Yes. Necessity. Why? Because they may not have papers or why they, or they're legal here. It's difficult for them to get a job. So they start their own businesses. It could be anything from a bakery to a house cleaning job, Mm -hmm. uh, business. It's necessity. Well, what's amazing is we have more in common, the immigrant and the non-immigrant woman, because it is out of necessity, whether it's financial freedom, whether it's to have flexibility in her schedule so that she can do the things that she wants to do single or, mm-hmm, or, mm-hmm. or with children. If it's to be able to pursue using all of her mm-hmm. skills and all of her, I often say that I became an entrepreneur because there was no one role that I, that, that I felt like I was being fulfilled Yes. or I was using all of me. Or you want to give a service that is not out there, yeah. that nobody, yeah. you know, that is, uni- that is unique to you and your culture and nobody else is doing it. So you're going to do it. So there's a lot of women falling through the cracks too. And we're also, um, failing at record p- pace. What do you think without knowing statistics about 
why. What do you think we need to support that process so that we're not failing? What do you think is the problem, if you had to guess? Again, without knowing, hmm. I'm throwing this at yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. With Is it maybe... I don't know. That's a really difficult question to answer. Yeah. What, what I've heard in the past, I'll tell you, just to kind of give you something to think about, is the resources. The financial yeah, yeah, resources I, I aren't think, available, mm -hmm. whether it's venture capital money, angel I, money, you know, much yeah. smaller money um, that's not available for women the way it is for men. I think that's one reason. I actually think a lot of it is we are trying to squeeze in some, if you're being compared to Expectations, a man, yeah. Who just by virtue of kind of socialized roles mm -hmm. can put more time and energy in this thing than perhaps a woman. If she's trying to fit it in to yeah. a four hour day yeah. because Johnny gets off at such and such time mm -hmm. and she's got to go pick him up and she's, and you know, she's playing that role and she doesn't know how to share that with a husband. Then just by virtue of her social role, if she's embraced that, she's got less time mm. to put into that. And it all requires time. Yeah. You just talked about your dad saying, just do the work mm -hmm. and they won't know where it came yeah. from. Well, if you're not doing the work, yeah. if you're not giving, taking seriously that practice or that endeavor, mm -hmm. you're, you're not going to be able yeah. to yield yeah. the same results. I, yeah, I, I, I can see that. And you know, that's, uh, that's really interesting. You know, it's, it's, it's like, and how do you remedy that? Yeah. How do you help somebody? Is it, building a nationwide network of people helping other women entrepreneurs. I think know? that's a great idea. Stay you know, tuned. <laughs> for I, Liberty listeners. I mean, yeah. maybe is, is, yeah. is, is it doing that then, you know, in almost understanding why can a woman who still, who, who may have other issues, three kids, why, how, how are they becoming successful yeah. versus somebody who's not? So we that's an interesting and, and a good point to kind of compare and see. And the definition of success, as you were pointing, I just, Christina was pointing at me because I have the three children, but it's interesting by other measures that, you know, what some of us have achieved wouldn't be considered successful if it was strictly financial. Mm -hmm. but by, by other measures, mm -hmm. it would be, yeah. you have flexibility, you are able to bring some financial resources yeah. into your family. You are able to affect change or affect others' lives. So I think it's also defining what is success for a woman and how that may be different than what success is for a man. I That's don't know. That's very true. I don't know. And I think success is very subjective from women to women too. From, yes. So, yes. Uh, you know, is it, are you happy? You know, I, Perfect example. Um, I just spoke to a good friend of mine who was in the television industry for a long time, a producer, and she got so tired of working in the entertainment industry. She's like, I'm done. I got to take a break. I just, I hate yeah. it. Yeah. And I, and she just called me out of the blue yesterday. It was like, I just had picked up with her and she's the happiest she's ever been. She's making really good money. I said, well, what are you doing, Karen? She's like, I have a dog walking business. Oh my gosh. Isn't that hilarious? And you would have never thought this high-powered, creative, super creative yeah. executive would do this. She's like, are you kidding me? She's like, I'm making money. I am so happy. Uh, I deal with incredible people who love their dogs. And I love the dogs. And I'm so happy. I've never been happier. Yeah. And I do this, I do that, I do this, I do that during my day. I work till three. I'm like, well. But that's perfect. Her, What she was measuring 
in terms of success was flexibility, yeah. was her schedule, was her ability to not be drained by her experiences mm-hmm. as a producer, right? Yeah. She was working with lovely people. Yeah. And- so, and I think maybe it goes back to that woman entrepreneur's goals. What is it that you want to do? Do you want to be a super ultra international success or do you want to be a success that meets your happiness needs, mm-hmm. you know, that meets your 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 family expectations? Because to me, they're just, having both of those are just as amazing, you yeah, know? So I, get, I think it just really depends on who you are. What a lovely way to wind <laughs> up this interview. I love that. Thank you for that. But we're not done yet. Okay. So we do this one little fun um, piece where we just want our audience to get to know you okay. a little bit. So I'm going to ask you six questions okay. and just Tell me off the cuff, whatever comes to mind. So do you prefer a nine to five or a flex schedule? Flex. Okay. And would you rather vacation in the mountains or on the beach? Beach. (laughs) And do you like working from uh, your home office or an out of house office? Can I do a hybrid? Yes. You can do whatever you want here at Liberty Sessions. Okay. Why the hybrid? Oh, it's a great flexibility. Yeah. I started working from home a lot. Uh, about two years ago, and I love it. Yeah, I mean, too. nobody bothers you. I mean, I'm sorry, but nobody yeah, bothers yeah. you. You're home by yourself. Yeah. You get so much work done, and but when you're when you're at the office, you're in office work mode. It's yeah, you know. So it's a great marriage between the two. When I have something really important to do. I go home whenever yeah. I do the court shows, uh, and I have to review like 14 cases a day or whatever I need to do. And I need to do some legal research. I do it at home. I sit in my dining room table and I spread, spread a everything bunch of stuff out. out. Yeah. Like everybody knows not to talk to me and I'm there by myself. Yeah. And I get it done and I'm, it's. it's Are you not uh, distracted? I no. see the laundry and the so-and-so and the shoes somebody didn't take to their room. Well, I'm mean, going to take care of that in the morning, right? <laughs> yes. Make sure, so you did see yeah, it. You did make sure it. that's done. So when I sit <laughs> at my dining room table, it's all work. <laughs> okay. Would you rather work with a team or alone? Oh, I need a hybrid on that too. Okay. Yeah. Time to think and really kind of mm-hmm. vision what the, the mm-hmm. bigger picture is yep. and then also time to get things yep. done and collaborate. Yeah. Um, I have a feeling this is not going to be a hard question for you. It's a hard one for me. Thai or Mexican food? Oh, Mexican yeah. food. Yeah. Okay. Do you like it hot? Yeah. I like spicy food. Does it have to be traditional? Like I've heard people go, except Tex-Mex. I can't yeah, deal yeah. with it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Mexican food is the real traditional Mexican food is just amazing. You know, a lot of the Mexican food we have here in the yeah. States is not real Mexican yeah. food. Although we are lucky in, in LA. Oh, There's yeah. some. Oh, yeah. How different it is from, uh, is it from Colombian food? Colombian food is just really well seasoned food. Oh, okay. It's, um, it's not spicy. Well, we do have uh, some chilies but that are, are really spicy, but really not the everyday food is just very well seasoned. Okay. Okay. It's it's like rice and vegetables and, and and there's always a protein and and there's planty and there's bean I mean it's just really good food. Okay, I think I would like it. I don't know. You'll have to make some. Yes, I'll, I'll come good. right over. Yes. And then this show is called Liberty Sessions, and mm-hmm. our company is Liberty, and our website is libertyforher.com. And uh, for us, it we believe and we're on a mission to try and liberate women to Mm -hmm. pursue their calling and to really Mm -hmm. pursue whatever venture uh, they are dreaming Mm -hmm. about and feeling called to. What is it for you? What does it mean for you to be liberated? 
Oh, wow. That's a good question. What is it to be liberal? Uh, to me, I think um, it involves a lot of different components. I think it's first having faith. Faith, uh, whether you believe in God or not, is is really understanding that you have to have faith. Mm. Um, having faith in yourself. Mm. Uh, forgiving yourself. Uh, understanding your work in progress. Uh, and being happy and just living all those things just very, you know, for a lack of... Uh, a better term, just be free with it and, mm -hmm. you know, and accept it, let them all mix. Obviously it took me almost 50 years to, yeah. to get to that, but that's it. Just have faith in, in, in whatever higher power you believe, faith in yourself, learn to forgive yourself. You make mistakes, set a goal. And remember to look at that person in the mirror and say, do you inspire me? That's because, our takeaway from mm -hmm, you. Christina. If you're not getting inspired by that person in the mirror, you need to go back <laughs> yeah, and work your way there. I think that's And you super can. Important. That's oh, yeah. the good news, that yeah. you can. Thank you so much. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you for your wisdom. So Thanks amazing. for sharing with us. And it's just good to see you again. I know. Thank you so much. Nina. All right. Amazing. Liberty listeners, we will be here again next week. So stay tuned. Until then, bye. Liberty Sessions is broadcast on all platforms, Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review Liberty Sessions on Apple Podcast. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping you to launch and grow your own ventures. You can also find us every day on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Liberty For Her. And please leave a comment using the hashtag Liberty Sessions. We want to hear your thoughts, suggestions, and brilliant ideas. Liberty Sessions is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Windham and music by Jordan Flower. 